Thank you for joining us on this special Sunday-only edition of Connecting the Diocese, a product of the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. My name is Jack Sosha. We once in a while have to be set aside for a day when special programming goes on in one or two of our networks, and this is one of those weekends. Don't forget, though, you can always hear the show by going to diolc.org slash connecting and listening online. You also can go to Spotify. You can also go to Amazon, and you can also go to iTunes. So it's just a little bit disruptive for some of you who only listen on the radio on Saturdays. But speaking of disruptive, this has got to be the oh my gosh story of the week. This is a local story. It's a local story from La Crosse, Wisconsin, but I think all of you can appreciate the irony of what's going on. There was some kind of fender bender in downtown La Crosse on Main Street and his cars were adjusting themselves to get backed up out of the way. One slipped into gear and crashed into the display window of La Crosse's oldest and most famous candy shop. Now keep in mind, this is days before Valentine's Day, and what are they crashing into? A candy shop. Well, things are turning out well. They've got the window repaired, and this shop called Fanati's, which really is an historic location in La Crosse, is not one where they have open bins of candy, you know, without wrappers, so it isn't like there's little bits of broken glass mixed in with your candy. Everything is boxed and packaged, so there should be no problem whatsoever, but they may have had a couple of things that are scratch and dent? I don't really know. You might want to call Fanatis if you're planning on going to buy some candy for Valentine's Day to make sure they have what you are looking for. However, you are not in a situation where they've closed down and you are forced then to go to a big box store and buy like, you know, half a dozen Snickers bars and put them in a shoebox. Don't worry, Fanatis is still there for all of the locals in the greater La Crosse area who go there every Valentine's Day. Speaking of Valentine's Day, we're going to be talking a bit about that, but on a lot of other stuff as well with Bishop William P. Callahan, the Bishop of the Diocese of the Cross. That will be coming up right after this on Connecting the Diocese. This Saturday, we stepped aside because of Relevant Radio having the final day of their pledge drive. They do that once every quite a few months. I mean, it isn't very often that they do that, and we are more than happy to acquiesce. Keep in mind, we have done more than 600 shows. Now, when you think about that, 52 shows a year divided by 600, that's a lot of years and a lot of shows that Relevant Radio has put on the air for the Diocese of La Crosse and our bishop at no charge. Think about that. Can you imagine how much this would have cost if we had to pay for this airtime? So I mention that because when they do ask you for money, because they are a nonprofit and they do not run, you know, great commercials and all this kind of stuff, give them some money. If you like what you hear, if you like this show specifically, and you want this show to remain every weekend, by all means, support Relevant Radio. And you can even make a dedicated donation. You can write to them and say, hey, I want to give you X number of dollars in support of Connecting the Diet which I really enjoy, and thank you so much for putting it on. That goes a long way in keeping our relationship with Relevant Radio fun. I'm sure also if you go to the Relevant Radio website, there'll be places to click where you can make a contribution online. So again, we thank them for now basically 10 years of supporting the Diocese of La Crosse and this radio show, and we can't do it without them. And they, quite frankly, can't do it without your support as well. So thanks to Relevant Radio. Keep them in mind. If you have a little bit of extra cash that you can donate, by all means, just 
Go over to the relevant radio website and I'm sure they will show you how you can do it very quickly and very easily. And again, we'll be on again next Saturday at our normal schedule. Thanks again, Relevant Radio. We love being part of your world and anything we can do to help you, you just let us know. Catholic News and Interviews. This is Connecting the Diocese. Well, I want to welcome back to our microphones, both online and in the air, the Bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse, Bishop William P. Callahan. So good to see you and so good to see you with both eyes staring at me with no glasses on. No glasses. No, no, no. You need to have, uh, I need to have the glasses only to see up close. Yeah, yeah. For, for those of you who These missed are... this, uh, you had uh, uh, two removal of um, cataracts. Big old cataracts. Yeah, of which you were very concerned about because, you know, no one likes being under the knife for anything. Well, uh, but especially in your eyes. You, you are, you are, from my best understanding, you were terrifically happy that it turned out well. Yes. I am indeed. I'm very happy that everything turned out okay. And uh, the, my 16-year-old doctor did a wonderful job. <laughs> that, there's another inside joke. Yeah, yeah. You had Doogie Howser. I didn't know that's he was right. still around. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And, and just as smart and just as engaging. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, so, yes, that was, that was Dr. We're, we're Sell. Joking about, yeah, we're joking about how people all look so young to us these days. Yeah, but really, really, happen. really, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, to, to, to draw the metaphor even sillier, uh, we are, the purpose of this show, especially at this time of the year, is to kind of, uh, was it metaphorically, remove the cataracts from people's spiritual eyes. Oh, <laughs> oh wonderful boy. segue. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and, nice. Uh, and Bishop is the man to do the operating. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've got, he, he is the man who's in total understanding of how that is done. We have something unusual coming up this particular Lent that only happens every seven, eight years, and that is that Ash Wednesday, which for those of you who don't know, is on a Wednesday. Um, this is why it's called Ash Wednesday. Um, we are very basic here on this show. Yes, uh, that's right, yes. Ash Wednesday this year is the same day as St. Valentine's Day. Yes. Now, before we get into this, can you, can you explain for people who really are going, okay, I've heard of Ash Wednesday, I kind of forgot what it is. What is Ash Wednesday? Ash Wednesday is, of course, the beginning of the holy season and the penitential season of Lent. And we begin uh, with a sense of uh, a, a rather ancient way of looking at things when, when our ancestors used to sprinkle ashes on their food. It, it made them less palatable. Um, and then uh, that way they would be able to kind of focus themselves on the, uh, the sense of, uh, of penance and trying to do a penitential thing uh, to, to start off the holy season. And so Ash Wednesday commences the 40 days of Lent. And so we're ready to go uh, with, uh, uh, from Ash Wednesday to the uh, fifth Sunday of Lent, and then Holy Week and all of the uh, ceremonies that go along with the, uh, the, the sacred triduum, uh, the, uh, the, the three days before Easter, of course, uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday itself. 
So all of these things, and, and, and it's, it's a little bit different because you're going to see purple a lot. You're going to see purple vestments and all these sorts of things. And the, uh, the, the sense is, it's not so much that it's the, uh, we, we see purple during, uh, during Advent. There's a big difference. The, the season of Lent has its own kind of way of reminding us of the fact that there are, there are laws that, that we need to follow that help us to understand what the season of Lent is all about. And so we are going to move in with, uh, with those things, first of all, by Ash Wednesday, and this is where the, the, the first premise of today's program uh, starts with the sense of understanding that Ash Wednesday is a day, one of only two in our calendar, in our, in our liturgical and Catholic calendar that says it is one of only two days of fast and abstinence. We fast and abstain. We fast from uh, major meals of, uh, of substance. Uh, you know, so in the old days it was uh, you can have uh, uh, three meals, but two of the meals that you have must not equal the the same as the one meal that is remaining. So you know, there's there's a sense of understanding that we uh, that we kind of watch what we're eating in a big way on Ash Wednesday. The second part of that, the abstinence part, is that none of the meals that you have on Ash Wednesday can have meat. So the the fasting the limitation of food, and then abstinence, the limitation, the absolute, the absolute abstinence of meat uh, is, is the other part of it. The other, the other day of, of uh, these rigorous uh, dietary laws are, uh, is Good Friday. So there's, there's an absolute fast and an absolute abstinence. So, uh, so fasting and abstinence and it used to be every Friday of the year, for those of us who are mature enough to remember, uh, these things, uh, every Friday was a, was a day of abstinence. Not necessarily a day of fast, but a day of abstinence. No meat. I remember my high school buddy from fourth grade, Joe McGuire, mm. nice uh, Irish boy and Catholic, we were going to some kind of a, a, a day camp or camping thing uh, and it, on a Friday during Lent. And, you know, we're young kids. We're fourth, fifth graders. And uh, uh, they had hamburgers. Oh, and dear Joe, um, he had me, he took the patty off the burger. You know, he kept the, the cheese or the lettuce, whatever they had. And he had me inspect that to make sure there wasn't any little bits of burger on it. <laughs> I always remember that, you know. I mean, what a, he's a fully grown man now with kids, and he's a very nice guy. And uh, we, I, I moved away, but I still remember. I looked him up after many years, and he's doing fine. He also is a pretty good jazz saxophonist. But anyway, he was that serious about it. And God bless him. Uh, Joe McGuire probably never would have dreamed that I would be talking about him on a Catholic radio station to a bishop. <laughs> well, let's just hope and pray that he's listening. 
Uh, he, well, he can, he can now that we're on the internet. Um, we yeah, yeah. We, I should mention that, that um, for those of you who don't know, uh, that we are also on Spotify, Amazon, and iTunes now, the same program. And uh, so if you in an area where you can't reach us by the radio, on the air, or you miss the show, you can always go back to your gadget and, and listen again, which is really a wonderful thing. The, the idea, you know, there's people listening of all different persuasions, and the idea of this, this special things to do on Friday or not to do, in my understanding, it falls under the category of a spiritual exercise. Yes. And as I used to explain, years ago I had to explain... Um, what certain things were going on with rosaries and rosary walks and things like that to a secular press who, you know, they, sure. they don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, but to them, it's people with beads. They had no idea. And I had to explain to them that a regular exercise, like you're doing, uh, you know, push-ups, uh, strengthens your arms. A spiritual exercise of some kind strengthens your relationship with God. And so what this is doing, now this is kind of a, you know, this is a a enforced thing, strongly suggested you do it. In the old days, this was not something, this was just done. Yes, Uh, non-negotiable. Yeah, and also uh, with a reason that they wanted people to really spend time thinking about what's happening in these last few weeks of the life of Jesus and all the story. And it was focus, focus, focus. <laughs> and, and so we're doing that. To, and to a, to a person who either is not acquainted with these uh, traits of the Catholic Church, it, 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 some of it sounds like, why are you doing that? Uh, well, and the more that you understand the background of these things, the more it will make more sense to you, which is one reason why we are combining in this Lent time this Eucharistic revival, and we're having a series of experts on periodically on this show to explain what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Because it's funny, as a friend of mine used to say, it's funny how it all fits together. It is, yeah, it is yeah. indeed. Yeah. Now, this Wednesday, of, of uh, Ash Wednesday, uh, people will have a choice of either doing Ash Wednesday or celebrating Valentine's Day. As you just heard, Ash Wednesday is a very serious, uh, very important to the church, to the individual. Uh, it's just something that is important. It's palatable. Yes. Um, I, I think the only day that's even more palatable is, is Good Friday when the whole world, you see stores closing. And my, even, even today, there's a, there's a sense of the fact that uh, there is a profound sense of penitential season, a penitential sense yeah, yeah. that something must be done. And especially in today's world, when we, when we are confronting the fact that the world is so upside down, uh, and lacking a sense of, uh, of morality and uh, a sense of one's own mortality, these sorts of things do make some sense. Yeah. It's even amusing that in our area uh, we have a very successful chain called Quick Trip, and now partly for commercial reasons, obviously, but also they recognize that so many people in our diocese will be abstaining from meat on Friday mm-hmm. that they truck out all kinds of fish sandwiches every Friday, and they go through tons of them. 
Now, granted, this is a commercial thing, and they're saying, "Hey, we're going to make, we're going to, we're going to, not going to sell as many hamburgers on Friday, so we better get some fish out there." But it's an acknowledgement. It's truth. It's an acknowledgement that there is something going on in our diocese and the rest of the world that is important, and we have to respond to it in some way. It's it's really kind of heartening to see. Yes. Uh, it, it reminds you that, hey, yeah, this is Lent. Look at all these, look at all these fish sandwiches. That's right. Every, even even some of the uh, the fast food purveyors you know, are upping their, uh, their fish sandwiches yeah, and yeah, different sorts yeah. of things. And it's just, it, 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 it's real. We were talking a little bit before the show about um, what we were going to talk about in the show. And uh, I was saying that I, I'm constantly amazed. I, I see people writing letters to editors or just in conversation saying uh, things like, you know, I don't believe in science. And this, part of this came from the pandemic and the vaccines. But people are saying, I, I, I don't trust what these, the, whether it be climate stuff, virus stuff, you name it stuff. People are going, I, I don't really know if those guys, or as they say in the Minnesota side of the river, oh, those guys, they don't know nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, this is science, right? <laughs> That's right. They, 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 you know, those guys, they don't know nothing. With that. Also, there's a lot of now people who deny historical facts, many of which are in living memory of a lot of us. That's right. This could be anything from the Holocaust to we wouldn't go to the moon, didn't go to the moon, <laughs> to you know, the Kennedy assassination, 9-11, um, um, all kinds of stuff. True. That are, yes. There's people living. You know? People who saw this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, and and they, people would just say, no, it didn't really. It was fake. <laughs> it was all fake. And there's a bunch of people who then also extend this out, and they go, uh, I, I, that religious stuff is not, it's all, that's a, the bearded man in the sky, you know, no, no, no. They're being anthropomorphic, which is a big word for like putting human traits to things that are beyond us. But they also just dismiss out of hand. I'm just not going to spend any time looking at any of that stuff because it's not worth it. Look at all the trouble it causes. <laughs> yeah, the folks at Catholic Charity are causing a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's just <laughs> disastrous. Yeah. But uh, when you combine all three of these into one person, I don't believe in science, I don't believe in history, and I don't believe in religion. What do you believe in? Oh. I give up. Tell me. Uh, I believe in myself. Okay, how do you build yourself? Last week, uh, we had Monsignor Hershon from Peru, Picasso Hogar, talking about getting these kids who really have started out life with not a whole lot of foundations about anything. And he says, the first thing we have to do is build up their own identity, mm -hmm. who they are, and that is what they believe in. And this is where formation and the things they do down there produces these rather sterling young people in many cases, in most cases, I would probably say. So we're here saying, okay, if you're out there listening right now, maybe you believe in science. I mean, your car works. <laughs> Gasoline does burn. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe you believe in some history. That's good. Uh, when it comes to religion, Think about it. What is going on around you? What is your relationship? Now they just had a, They just had a, you know, a, a panel came on and did an inquiry of like eight hundred people. Not not exactly a giant amount. 
but of the 800, 28% claimed they didn't believe in God. Now, you add to that the so-called N-O-N-E's, the nuns, the ones who kind of believe in God, kind of, but I I don't know. The church is organized religion. I I don't know. That's a lot of people. Uh, I think if they rephrased that and they said to these people, do you believe in a higher power? And just left out the word God. Now, their higher power might be crystals. (laughs) Mm. Uh, We don't know. Uh, but you go, oh, I believe in nature. Good, good, good. Says, Where does nature come from? <laughs> you know, if, if you keep asking these questions, kind of a, what's the uh, Socratic method? I was going to say sophomoric method. That's my style. Mm-hmm. But uh, sooner or later, it's going to lead you back to God. Yes, Thomas Aquinas, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Now, I just read something, and I, I almost thought the guy was making it up. He knew a guy... They were out someplace uh, hiking, and it was getting very windy. And so he said, let's go into the woods to get away from it. And the guy said, you're going to get more wind in the woods. And the guy said, why would we get more wind in the woods? He goes, well, it's the flapping of the leaves that creates the wind. And this guy says, this man grew up (laughs) believing that wind was created by leaves flapping in forests. (laughs) Oh, my. Now... Uh, Well, you you know, that's crazy. I mean, how this happened, we have no idea. How this, what chain of events, and there's probably some stuff I learned as a kid that I have no, that uh, is based totally on nonsense. There are, there are. Or some urban legend from New Jersey, you know. Um, But when it comes to what we're talking about, you've got to open your eyes a little bit. And that's why we have the bishop here talking about Lent uh, and penitential. Can you? better describe for these people uh, who don't really know what what is a penitential act ah very good question a penitential act um and it is uh, not necessarily always just a uh, a religious act it is an act that causes me to to stop and pause and realize just exactly why I am doing what I am doing. Kind of goes with your, your, your questions there about what do you believe in? I mean, if you're, if you're just kind of uh, a random sampler of things available. Uh, but there does come a time when you pause and say, I'm sorry. I think that comes, that comes into our lives uh, a lot during a penitential season. We come to a point where we think about what we are doing and we realize at some point that not every single thing we do is, uh, is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And everything that I do is wonderful and right and good. And even if you don't necessarily accept the, the, the difference between good and evil, well, then you have to take some time to really start to think about that. Because everyone kind of comes to a point in his or her life where the, the, the thing is, I should take, a, take a, a time to believe what I am doing and if what I am doing is something that is good or evil for me, for you, or for the, the, the world in which I live. 
Uh, am I doing something that actually makes some sense? And, uh, and then it makes sense not only because of the fact that it's, you know, it, it falls into a perspective of, uh, you know, what are the, 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 uh, the, the rights and the wrongs, but it comes into realizing that I am doing something that makes sense because it is um, basically a good thing to do and uh, is something that makes others happy. There, there brings about a sense of benevolence and goodness and kindness, etc. We can go into all of that, but um, you know, ultimately, we try to look at those things because they remind us of who God is. And, uh, and I think once we start going into those areas, we start to, we start to think. And there's time during Lent to do that. That's exactly what the whole thing is. Lent is um, uh, a penitential season whereby we take time to sort it all out and see just exactly what we are doing and why we are doing it. And, and if it makes sense, do our actions make sense? There are ways in which we can, we can study those things. And it's good to take the time, read some books, read, look at some different sorts of ways of thinking about things. Lent is a good time to do that. And so it does allow us the opportunity to do what we need to do and consider the consequences. I would think also that it gives you the opportunity to understand that you have the inner strength to do it. And also, and I think we talked about this who knows how many Lents ago, uh, it isn't always just giving something up, although that is the common, common thing to do. It could be to start doing something good. That's right. Um, uh, you know, my thing lately, uh, and this is not a penitential thing, is I'm trying to spend more time talking to strangers because we've stopped talking to each other so much. Yeah. And, but you've got you to walk up to that stranger and talk to them and say, hi, how you doing? You are going to see all kinds of events in Lent. Um, and again, we'll be talking more about the, the, the specialty ones that are coming up. But uh, this ties into this thing that we're calling, and it's a national thing, not just us, this Eucharistic revival that's going on. Because part of the, uh, part of the spinoff of the I don't believe in God, I don't believe in organized religion, I don't go to church anymore, uh, the people who, who, for whatever reason, think that there's nothing in it for them. Uh, they also many times have a profound misunderstanding of what we're even talking about uh, with uh, the Eucharist. I, the guy who gets this show up onto relevant radio for me, I send it to him, he checks it out to make sure that it's in the right parameters. He's been doing this as long as I have, so I, getting these okay is a good thing. And he puts it up on a satellite. And when I told him we were doing these specialty shows, he said, oh, I want to hear those. He says, because boy, I'll tell you, in, in, a, in a large part of the Catholic community, there is just an immense lack of understanding as to what it's all about. And so we're going to have people on these next several weeks, and for several weeks, we're not going to have it on every single week, but a fair amount. 
building up information so that when we see this event going on, where there's a tabernacle being transferred from one diocese to another, and people are stopping, out and getting out of their cars, and some are going to be on their knees. Why? And there's a, the, we're going to have some people on uh, next week or two. Uh, Chris Carstens is one of them, who I think is going to give me a lot of good history as to how this was, with the word codified, how this got formalized. But, and I keep asking the question, and this, you don't have to answer this because I don't think we all know it. I don't know it. They're in, uh, before Christ is taken away to be brutalized and crucified, he's in what they used to call the upper room, and he breaks the bread and he gets the wine. Why did he choose those symbols? Versus they were someplace where they were building something and he took brick and he took mortar. I asked my wife this, because she's wise. <laughs> and she says, because they were having dinner and it was there. <laughs> And, and, how, go, and how difficult would it be in churches all over the world on Sundays to come up with bricks and mortar? <laughs> you know, quick, the, the mortar's hardening. We've got to hurry up. <laughs> you know, but no, he took what was common, and I mean, that may not be the actual real answer, but my wife is pretty smart. Uh -huh. And uh, I think that's really quite, quite a, a good thing. But this idea of, uh, I don't know whether it... They, People keep wanting to say it was symbolic of. Mm. And this is the problem. This gets into, I guess the word is metaphysics. It gets into all kinds of things where this is supposed to be a moment of connection physically with God. That's my interpretation. Maybe you could tell me better because I mean, you're, you're, you're well, the, uh, the whole idea of bread and wine is the, the, uh, the sense of the fact that these are the staples of food. Bread is a staple of, of uh, what is normally eaten. The, uh, the wheat that is, that is sown, these are, these are foods that are harvested. They're the fruits of the earth, they're the fruits of the vine, the fruits of the, of the grain. These are the things that come to us basically. And so Jesus takes things that are very, very simple, very plain, very ordinary, everyday things that we eat and brings those to the table and, and helps us to understand that not only are these life-giving, basically essential to, to uh, uh, maintaining life, they are essential and basic to maintaining spiritual life. So that it's not only just the, the, the bread that is, that is given, to, to sustain the human body, it is the bread that is given, Jesus says, in John, in the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, the whole idea of the fact that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, have not, you do not have life. And, uh, you know, and so the whole idea of this, this food and this drink uh, are there essentially to, to, to help human beings to survive and to live, but they are there and they are chosen by God to help human beings to live and to survive spiritually, to unite oneself with the actual giving of life and sustenance of life that comes to us from God himself. And my wife also is surprisingly wise and studies things and uh, you know has uh, 
spent a lot of time working in, in seminaries and other places and things like that. Um, she said, she pointed out to me that, that the, the other thing is that this transformation is extraordinary uh, because, among other things, Jews, who he was dealing with, never drank blood. I mean, the kosher, kosher meat is drained. Uh, you know, they, they don't have blood sausage and stuff like that. Uh, and so for him to choose these things, uh, which would, under normal circumstances, horrify a Jew, but to transform it uh, was something, again, that you have to kind of let settle into your brain a little bit. Uh, the church has terms, which I have learned to like. Other people think it's kind of like well, an all-purpose term, mysteries. There's just some stuff that we mortals are not necessarily going to fully understand until someday we're in a position, hopefully with God and Jesus and the saints, where all of a sudden we go, oh yeah, mysteries. You know, um, what was it like for you as a newly minted priest to consecrate the host for the first time? This is, again, this is something only priests can do. And also, regardless of if you had a priest who was not feeling well that day or coming down with something and they mumbled the words or they did something that wasn't perfect, it does not invalidate what they're doing because this is not being done by the priest. Right. What was it in, well, I should know the words, um, but in the body of Christ, in the manner of Christ. Yes, yes. Well, it is, it is. It's uh, in persona Christi. In persona Christi. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. and uh, the priest is 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 functioning in persona Christi. Right, yeah. He is acting in the person of Christ. Right. That that's one of the that's one of the big ones to to be able to try to understand in the Catholic faith. I don't Catholic know if that faith. applies to a mystery or not, but it certainly is probably close. does. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, Again, you have to accept or understand or at least hope for the idea that, that God can communicate with you. Well, look at Christmas. That's right. You know, uh, incredible. Uh, and there's this stuff that happens all the time. And that God does communicate with his people, yeah. With, yeah. with other creatures. There are things that happen. Way. and. Uh, you know, again, we talk. Uh, we've talked about this a number of times. This is just something that I, I always got the biggest interest in. That God might contact you, might talk to you. You might have a strong sense of feeling of God is with you, um, and the church has no problem with that, uh, as long as you don't. The word is promulgated. That you start creating a new doctrine based on what happened to you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know. And and you you do you can let other people know certainly yeah. that you are in communion with with God, yeah. and and that's exactly why Jesus left us the sacrament of His body and blood, so that we are in communion with Him. Mm-hmm. So that it's not just a matter of the fact that He came and did some razzle dazzle, and then left us but rather that he came and gave us the mystery of the, the presence of his life, his, his body, his blood, his sacrifice 
in a in a beautiful way that is communicated to us every single time we come to mass and every single time we receive the sacred body and blood of Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. So Jesus makes himself present to us. So it's not a matter of his, you know, of his just saying, well, I'll I'll want you to think about this. I want you, says he, to to do this in memory of me. And every time you do it, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. This is the kind of the opposite, and I probably butcher if this is Latin. The uh, concept of Deus ex machina. Oh, the where, Deus ex machina. Ah, uh, see, I yes. told you I'd butcher it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and could you explain what, what what that theory was? Well, the Deus ex machina is a little bit different from what we're talking about in terms of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. You know, the the Deus ex machina is. God from the machine, from the action. You know, there's a, that there is you know, some kind of thing that comes along. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, of, of, of a one, and nothing's coming to my head right now. My, my understanding of it, and this is from a long time ago, was basically it would be kind of like God winds up our, our reality like a clock and then walks away. That's right. Yeah, yeah well, yes. And, uh, but we, we, we see God in an apparatus yeah, yeah there is something that is there that 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 acts as a a power base or a uh, you know something that is going to be saving us mm -hmm. um you know superman for instance you know those sorts of <laughs> yeah, things yeah. you know those 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 sorts of elements but no that's not what it is at all it is it is the fact that God, who created all things, chose to become part of his creation. So it's not just, it's not just a matter of saying, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to do this sort of thing because you're going to need me someday. Ah. You know, yeah. you're, going to need a, you're going to need a power base, you're going to need a power source, you're going to need something mm -hmm. yeah. that's, going to, that's going to be bigger than you are. So that's why when we get to talking about higher powers, you know, we're, you know, we're not necessarily just talking about something that's going to be able to save us in a time of need, but actually someone who is going to be with us for all the times in which we are going to need to have someone with whom to journey. Yeah, yeah. There was, in my studies years ago in uh, religious studies back at UCSB, there was a, a phrase that it came out of the the, uh, the Hindu uh, thing. It it's nice to hear it, but it's missing one element that we are finding in Christianity. It's a lovely saying. It was a filled with God are the things we see. Mm. Filled with God are the things we can't see. That from out of God flows everything that is. From out of God everything, but is God still the same? And that's lovely, but. There's missing the part that God is with us on our journey. Uh, their philosophy was you have to do a lot of things to be able to experience God. And um, sometimes God does some of the work for you. <laughs> and that is the beautiful part of it all, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that God does do it. And, and it is God's will that, that we are united with him. God does communicate with us. I think that, again, getting back to this idea of people who have stepped away from a lot of religion thinking, uh, there was an old thing, uh, again, these are all these, these sayings that should be on little plaques. Uh, you know, seeing is believing, but also believing is seeing. 
And if you are more aware of the reality that God is with us, the more you begin to feel that God is with us. And that is not something that is just a psychological band-aid. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. you wouldn't be doing this your whole life yeah. if, if it was just some, you know, some little plaque you put on your desk. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly it. That goes back to the question you asked. You know, what happened when you, when you celebrated the Mass for the first time and realized yeah. that you were functioning in persona Christi? And, uh, you know, this is a very big deal, you know. So, so you, are, you are the head and you are the body of Christ in that moment. Just a few weeks ago, we uh, had a show celebrating the life and martyrdom of blessed brother uh, James Miller, That's right. a local guy from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, right. who was assassinated, uh, not, not at mass, but he was assassinated doing the work doing, of Jesus, doing his work. Uh, you know, helping the poor and doing all the things. And, and it was, uh, they wanted to, to suppress religious belief in terms of so that they, the local government could be the, the provider. That's right. And so they killed him. Uh, and that's, 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 that's martyrdom. Yeah, that absolutely. Is, that is typical that's martyrdom. martyrdom. They'll get you to the point yeah. uh, where non-believers will get you to the point of realizing that you don't believe what, what you profess you believe in. Yeah. And, and then once you, once you deny it, the act of apostatizing, the act of leaving what you believe and whom you believe, you die in it in a terrible way because you've 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 denied the thing you believe in, and uh, so it's a it's a it really does make you stop and realize that uh, martyrs when they when they are called to martyrdom they are called to a sense of understanding a basic sense of belief they are making a profession of faith. And in that profession of faith, they are, they are called to stand firm. And uh, when they do that, they are, you know, the, the, the glory of God. You know, St. Stephen, the first martyr, getting stones thrown at him. And, and he dies in that sense of understanding that he is still a child of God. And that in this moment, while they don't believe, his faith is saving them as well. It's a, it's, a, it's a magnificent sense of understanding God is with us. That may be something you can do during this Lent is to read uh, some of the stories of the martyrs of the church. Certainly. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the woman. Oh, she's always mentioned in the litany of uh, the saints that uh, uh, she was at the Colosseum in Rome and she was so confident that that you know, when this gladiator-type guy was getting ready to run her through, she was like, no, not, not that way, here. Hold the sword over here. And, <laughs> and the guy was dumbfounded. There are stories, yes. Uh, you know, things like that. Phenomenal and, stories, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Maximilian Kolbe, who right. was being starved to death by the Nazis, and he kept, he kept the, um, the spirits of the other people up. That's who right. were also being starved to death until finally they had to poison him to kill him. Carbolic acid yeah, into his know, veins. I mean, and this is, this is, you know, people don't do this uh, just because they think it's a nice idea. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a mandate coming from Jesus to do some of these things, not to die for him necessarily, no. but, but to do things for other people um, that, you know, your strength might fail otherwise. Um, 
and this is extraordinary virtue, which is why one reason why they become saints, among other things. But uh, you know, you you read about these people who do these things. Uh, even these people at Casa Hogar, you can help out people anywhere in the world. Right here in La Crosse, you can help out wherever you want to be, whether you're in, in here or in Omaha. But to go down there and do what Father Walieski did, what Monsignor Hirsch is doing, what Father Sebastian is doing, what Noelle is doing when she goes down there three, four times a year, uh, it's, it's hard work. It's extraordinary work. That's, um, there, there's, a, there's a difference between... Uh, uh, a martyrdom uh, of of blood, yes. dying for dying for the faith immediately and having your blood poured out right. at that moment. But there's also a white martyrdom, hmm. the ways in which people die every single day, people who put up with very difficult kinds of situations, people who you know we we are we are taught. And I remember when I was a kid, and I still you know see some some people. Uh, around who are who are taught who were taught and still remember the fact that if some things are really bad in life and they're difficult in life and you're really having a troubled time trying to make it that you offer it up you you associate your suffering while not necessarily a suffering that is unto death but you are offering up your suffering your pain whatever it may be for you're associating your pain and your suffering with Christ's suffering on the cross. While it is not unto death for you, it is certainly painful and, and difficult. And you are trying to make sure that while you are, while you are dealing with that, that suffering, that you are remembering that, that Jesus dealt with the sufferings of the cross for you. And so in, in that sense, white martyrdom is, is an offering of my, my pain, my suffering, my difficulty in association with, in union with the, the pain of Jesus. And it does some way, somehow, offer us a sense of peacefulness. Yeah. I, this probably doesn't quite fall into the category of white martyrdom, although I would think close. Years ago, when Bishop Lisecki was Bishop Lisecki here, we were doing a show, and he had just come back from India. And I think I may have told you this some years ago, but mm. I had never seen him so, what's the word they use, gobsmacked? <laughs> no, uh, it's, you got me. I, it's nothing God, it's a gobsmacked. He it was blown away. Yes, he good. He was blown okay. away with these sisters who were working in this institution in India ah. with hopelessly mentally challenged people. These people were not just a little mentally deficient. They were very, very were they seriously serious. Sisters seri of Charity? Probably. Charity? Mother Teresa's yeah. group? These guys would, would, all day long, I mean, they would just, you know, eat with their hands and they would soil themselves and they would just coat themselves with their own excrement. I mean, they were just that bad. And these women would get up every morning knowing that they're going to go in there and be confronted with this and lovingly clean these people up and put new clothing and stuff on them and clean up the surrounding area, knowing it's just going to happen again. That's right. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And they do it to this day, Jack. To this day, that action is going on. And those sisters in many, many parts of the world are doing the same thing, you know, dealing with 
people who are in extremes. And, 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 these, and, and the sisters go in and work, uh, you know, clean these, clean these poor individuals or do whatever they can for them and do it all over again the next day. You know, but it's, that is a white martyrdom. Yes, you're, you're, you're right in I, I did not want to define it that because you know more than I do. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I think, um, I think um, you know, I'm not necessarily you know, saying that you know, this is, this is the, the absolute truth, but this is the closest thing that we've got yeah. to understanding how people can genuinely give of themselves in such a way that they can place their lives at the service of others in such a dramatic and, and astonishing kind of way. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, my reaction to, to Bishop Ben, Bishop Listecki, was the same idea that most of us would have. It's one thing to kind of intellectually know that some of these acts are going on, yes. but then to actually be in front of it. And that's another reason why the people who say, well, I don't want to be involved with organized religion. If you get involved with organized religion, with the Catholic Church, you will have the opportunity to see people doing this. And you too will be blown away the same way Bishop Listecki was. Sure. You know, it's just like that. Exactly. Uh, I, I had an interesting thing happen recently. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Well, it does, dude. I have saved a picture I clipped out of a um, newspaper or a magazine years ago of a priest, and it was in South America, with a guy in a uniform clutching him, and the priest is holding on to him. And I, I just always loved this picture because I, I didn't know what it was all about. Well, a few days ago, there was um, some clickbait stuff on CNN of Pulitzer Prize photographs, and you could look at them. I learned that there's a thing called Wikimedia, which is part of Wikipedia, where you can look at thousands of pictures from all over the world, and they had just grabbed these Pulitzer Prize pictures. And I looked, was looking at these, and here was this picture I had clipped out oh all these years earlier. It was from Venezuela during one of the wars going on, and this was a priest in Venezuela in the village square, I mean, where the shooting was going on, holding on to a combatant, because the guy's wearing fatigues, who knows what side, it didn't matter, who was dying while the bullets were flying around him. And I just took a look at that picture and I went, oh, I'm so happy to be able to save as this picture in a better quality than the one I have, because I literally took the piece out of a Newsweek or something sure. and, and glued it on a piece of cardboard. But it was a priest in Venezuela during that time, and probably, you know, not that far from the time of, uh, you know, Brother James. But, he, yes, well, again, gobsmacked. <laughs> this priest is not hiding someplace going, whoop, wait a minute, you know. Yeah. He sees this guy dying, calling for a priest. He's, you know, he wants to get some, some blessings or some assurance or something going on. And here's this priest, with, and he's got the long cassock, standing in the middle of this gunfight going on, holding this guy who's clutching him to, to, to pull himself up. I'm going, this is amazing. This is amazing. These are the kind of things, maybe not as dramatic as this, that the more you get involved with your church, your religion, Catholicism, the more you will you expand out. Exactly. Probably too, and we can expand on, on the thought, the more you get involved in life, the more you get involved with other human beings, you start to realize that your life 
has, has a purpose and a meaning that is known to you, but that your life and your purpose can certainly do something for others and can certainly help them, inspire them, bring them to a new sense of, of awareness. And, and you don't have to do it to, you know, to go out to, you know, to be some hotshot, you know, uh, but to just realize that you are putting yourself into the place of another. You are putting yourself with someone else who is suffering. And isn't it what Jesus says in the gospel? You know, when you, when you do something for the least of my brothers, you are doing it for me. You know, that this is, that this is, a, this is a matter of understanding that, that we, we take ourselves and we, we place ourselves into a situation for someone else and we are there to help, to heal, to hold someone. And at those, in those moments, we are, we are experiencing the, the presence of Jesus. That's communion. That's communion. That's Eucharist. And you can do that by participating, for example, in a Lenten soup supper. There you are. Either, either helping out making it or just going and, and eating it. That's right. <laughs> because there'll be people like you who are interested in participating in Lent, who are, that's why they're there. You know, that's why they're not out having a cheeseburger someplace. Right. Um, and so you'll meet people who, who are interested in maybe some of these same things you are. They may know less than you know. They may know more than you know. The both of you may just have a lot of questions. But, you know, it's kind of like you don't get unless you ask. Uh, you, go to one. Start by going to one. Just the, the, Your local parishes will have these things all over the, the diocese, so, wherever you happen to be. Just go to one. Just strike up a conversation with somebody. You will be astounded what you'll learn. There are extraordinary stories, and they don't always start out that way. Yeah. You know, you're talking to the guy in the grocery store, to a guy in a barber shop or whatever. You don't start out by saying this is going to be a God moment. No. You know, you start out saying, you know, here's a guy, yeah. and I'm going to talk to him. And all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. You, know, uh, you start seeing Jesus in the one in front of you. Where do you think all the stories come from that are in the Catholic Life magazine? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they're, they're, go grab a copy of Catholic Life and go take a look at it. Uh, you will find extraordinary stories. That's now, right. uh, and these people don't make up these stories. They, they actually talk to people at a, at a Lenten soup supper <laughs> and discover something. And they say, hey, there's a story in this. That's right. That's you right. Know? Exactly. It's, it's wonderful. I, I, I just... Uh, we had some guys on years ago, I'll never forget this, who had gone down to Africa and discovered that this little village needed a well, and they drilled it. And, you know, number one, the satisfaction of seeing clean water coming up was wonderful. But years later, the organization they had kind of built up had provided water for 10,000 people. Again, these are people who are local farmers, person you're going to rub elbows with somewhere. They're all around us. The and uh, maybe, you're, maybe your Lenten um, you know, thing you should be doing is just going around and, and being open to people and talking to people and, and, and listening to them. And that may help because sometimes people get a little bit tired of giving up candy or giving up cigarettes or giving up television or giving up... 
while those are excellent and they are major helps towards uh, you know creating a, a deeper sense of, of devotion and uh, a deeper sense of participation in divine life. Yeah. But there are other ways. You know, people get tired of the same old, same old. Yeah, even if it's even if it's something holy or good or whatever. Um, uh, but there are other ways. Mm -hmm. There are other ways of doing things, and we should be looking for them. Yeah, I think this hour we've given some ideas to a little pep talk for those of you who are ambivalent, maybe the word we want to use. No, it's a nice word. Uh, but uh, we'll be doing more of this. We've got you know number of weeks of Lent and a lot of things and we're going to be talking about the Eucharistic revival which is hand in hand yes. with this uh, and so uh, Bishop can you uh, can you leave us with a with a, 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 a prayer and a blessing for That's this right. first show that we're using as we move towards Lent by all means O sacrament most holy O sacrament divine all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine Dear Jesus, we ask you to be with us and open our minds and our hearts to your presence among us and help us to, to be open to the ways in which you shine in the lives of others. We ask this in the name and the power of Jesus, who is your Son and Mary's forever and ever. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. I spend a fair amount of time during these public service announcement moments talking about things like watching out for scams where people try to get your money and also health concerns because I want you to be healthy. I was just reading an article that was all about how currently we are not doing a lot of great things for our seniors, our senior citizens, regarding COVID-19. During the big pandemic, the two and a half to three years of COVID-19, of those million people who died, four out of five who passed away were over 65. Now it's being said that, like the flu, it's going to be with us every year, and every year when people move indoors because it's cold, it spreads more quickly. And if the percentages hold the same as they did before, four out of five who succumb to COVID this time could be over 65. According to the article, we're not doing a real good job at all making sure that our so-called senior citizens have gotten their COVID booster shots. Maybe they're in assisted care. Maybe they're understaffed. They're overworked. They can't get the person out to go to a pharmacy to get the shot, all kinds of different reasons. Maybe you know someone in your family who's taking care of a parent or a grandparent, and they've just been too busy, they really haven't thought about it because they keep hearing that, well, COVID's over. Well, it's not, and there is a booster shot out there, and you can get one, and it can save your life. If you're over 65, it's something you should be doing. Maybe you yourself are over 65 and you just haven't gotten around to it. Well, again, get out there and get the booster shot. You might want to check with your pharmacy to see what shots are available and what coverage pays for them, because there are now all kinds of new vaccines to treat pneumonia, treat shingles, all kinds of things that plague people over 65 that were not available even a few years ago. And that COVID booster shot is a big one you should consider. And be sure to ask any caretakers of your loved ones if they are up on their current vaccines. It's important, and it could save the life of someone you love. 
Jack shows you within the last few seconds of connecting the diocese. Don't forget that we are archived also at diolc.org connecting, so you can go back and listen to these anytime you want or download your own copy. Always just such a pleasure bouncing ideas off the bishop and having a casual conversation about some pretty important topics. We'll see you again next week right here on Connecting the Diocese. Thanks for listening. Thank you.